You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your somewhat irregular host, Trista Neuer Jaeger, Chief Strategy Officer at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music innovation and music technology. I recently got to catch up with a longtime friend and supporter of Music Tectonics, Daryl Ballantyne, the CEO and founder of Lyric Find. Since co-founding Lyric Find in 2004, Daryl has grown Lyric Find to be the largest licensed lyric database in the world. Having established decade-long relationships with the majors and over 6,000 music publishers from around the world, Lyric Find is trusted as a premium provider to top industry clients, including Amazon, Google, YouTube, Deezer, and many, many more. Now, for those of you who listen regularly, you know Daryl has been on the podcast before to talk about how Lyric Find pioneered lyrics as a revenue stream for creators and rights holders, and about all the innovative tools Lyric Find builds for an evolving music industry. This time, Daryl and I got to talk about filtering explicit content. You know you want to hear about that. How people interact with music differently while they're driving, the dark side of Hanson, and so much more. So stick around and come check out these surprising stories about lyrics and music tech. Hey, Daryl, welcome back to the Music Tectonics Podcast. Thanks. Happy to be back. And this time talking to you <laughs> instead of Dimitri. It's nice to... I know. I know. We, we wanted to mix it up a little bit just so, you, you know, you get to talk, you get to get to be uh, subjected to the other host. Exactly. I'm, I'm an equal opportunity guest. I love it. Well, lyrics can do a lot of really cool things. Um, and one really important aspect of lyrics is how they can help us find and sort songs effectively. So basically be able to curate not just by genre or BPM, but by emotion or even subject matter and a bunch of other parameters. So I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about the state of lyric-based curation and how you see lyrics shaping the way people are finding and, and putting songs together for specific purposes, whether that's for like a, a fitness class or for, um, a, you know, some kind of brand campaign. What do, how do things look from Lyric Find's perspective? Yeah, that's definitely a, a key area that we've been working a lot on. And we think that it's extremely powerful and extremely important. Uh, we have a product called Lyric IQ that is analyzing music through the lyrics, not looking at things like BPM and uh, and that, but looking at just what the song is actually about and what is the content of the song. Because there's there's a gap there. If you think about songs that sound happy and fun, uh, then that doesn't necessarily align with the lyrics and what the song is actually about. One of my favorite examples that we discovered mm -hmm. was uh, Mbop by Hanson, where... <laughs> Like you think, yeah, it, everybody thinks about that song, myself included, about being like a happy, fun, upbeat song. But then when you actually look at the lyrics of it, it's about, you know, getting old, losing your hair, losing your friends and that. And like the mbop is gone, you know, like the excitement of life is gone and it's actually kind of depressing. And if you're trying to find the right song for a, an ad campaign or for a... a a workout or that then and you, you want something that's happy and fun uh or or a tv show or a movie or any of these different sync licensing opportunities that might not be the right song 
or pumped up kicks is another one where it sounds happy and fun, but mm-hmm. it's about a school shooting. So it's not, yeah, uh, it, it's not the right lyrics. The audio sounds one way and the lyrics are actually another way. So it's really important to be able to differentiate between those and identify those to get the right song for, for the moment. So using the lyric IQ and both the emotion analysis, sentiment analysis, content filtration, things like that. Uh, we're helping a lot of services with that kind of problem and helping them to identify the, the, the emotions and sentiment and, and, and topics that are in the song and what it's actually about to be able to uh, filter that in or out or make better decisions in, in playlists or sync licensing uh, or uh, any of those types of areas, you know, in-store music, for example, uh, it, it's key to have the right type of, of lyrics, not just the right type of music in, in that scenario. So it's it's actually a really, really interesting area, and it's been fun to kind of explore and make those mbop discoveries that you know, blew my mind uh, and a really good laugh about really realize that I've, I've thought about that song entirely wrong uh, my entire life. It's great you're, that, you know, by using AI, you're able to do a deeper literary analysis of the work of Hanson. Yes, yes. I mean, that's really what the people have been clamoring for. That's... Mm. <laughs> so I was curious, I, you know, we mentioned, th- you mentioned things like filtering out content, and that could be things like profanity or, or language that talks about, about sexual activities, that kind of thing, drugs, that sort of stuff. Are there any sort of positive examples that you've seen? Have people worked with Lyric IQ and found, um, you know, a, a set of songs based on their lyrics that really underlined their message in a positive way. Like, have you seen that kind of example as well? Uh, in addition to just trying to weed out the pumped up kicks, <laughs> you know, it, it's an interesting question. And uh, you know, one of our weird realities of our business is that we provide the data, but we don't necessarily see the granular mm. information about the use. Ah, oh, got so, it. So, you know, we license uh, some fitness platforms, for example, that use. Uh, Lyric IQ to filter things out or in based on uh, on emotion and sentiment and and topics and, and things like that. Uh, you know, we're one of my my favorite Lyric IQ clients is a company called Gab Wireless that does a streaming service for kids. So you know that's mm-hmm. I've got two small kids, so seeing that type of uh, of use and filtration to make sure that things don't make it into that service that aren't appropriate. Uh, for them is is really great because there's there's so many different categories of content. There's so many different types of things that go beyond you know the traditional George Carlin seven dirty words. Uh, <laughs> so true. <laughs> course language filter or like the parental advisory sticker that doesn't really have any rules about when it should be on. Uh, you've got. Mm-hmm. There, one of the again another Canadian example, "Life as a Highway" by Tom Cochran, uh, mm-hmm. isn't flagged as an explicit song, uh, but they use the word "shit" in it, uh, and it's there's a line after all the shit, you know, we've been through it, and it doesn't even get bleeped half the time, I guess because there's only one shit, so it's not explicit enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know what Canadian like broadcast law involves, but, either, <laughs> you but you know, if you're if you're a parent and you don't necessarily want your kids to hear that shit, then <laughs> you it doesn't matter if it's one or if I get I me. Mean, I, actually, it's not true. It does matter if it's one or if it's if it's fifteen. But, fifteen, <laughs> uh, but it's still there. So when there's no mm-hmm. real rules around it then it's hard to measure. Or there may be scenarios where something is highly sexual, but they never say a specific explicit word that would flag flag it, where it it might be innuendo Mm -hmm. or it might be slang that doesn't get picked up on uh, or that. So you want to be able to recognize and evaluate that on a a pretty cut and dried uh, system you know, as a as a parent, you want to make sure I don't have that stuff playing uh, with my kids, for example. So uh, it's yeah, it, it's a long overdue uh, set of data. I think that's so important to point out that you know before I believe a lot of the explicit you know markers, et cetera, that the, they were flagged by who was ever you know that was uploading the stuff themselves or or you know contributing it to a distributor, you know <laughs> putting the sticker on the front of the CD or the record or whatever. Um, and that was all kind of like self-reported, right? And sometimes you'll see stuff marked explicit on Spotify, for example, that you're like, well, that's kind of I mean, I guess that's a little little naughty, but then there's stuff that you're like, this isn't marked explicit. what? you know, so I think it's great to have that consistency using actual data um, that doesn't require humans to listen to like millions of hours of yeah, audio. it would be impossible to do it on a on a manual basis. and and a lot of older stuff too, the explicit label would get applied to an album. So then it would be slapped on mm, that's every right. track. Uh, and you know, maybe that's what contributed to Tom Cochran. Maybe the rest of that album had nothing on it that was at all objective. And they, they didn't want to label all Just, 14 tracks as, mm-hmm. as explicit for that one word. But... <laughs> Tom, you could have just said stuff. (laughs) Anyway, um, we won't we won't try to correct um, great songwriters here. But this is this is really, really exciting. So um, I'm also I'm curious, you know, you're talking a bit about, you know, know, a family oriented service. Um, You're talking about being with kids. One of the places that I know people spend a lot of time with their families, sometimes in enclosed and inescapable (laughs) spaces is in a vehicle. And Lyric Find has done some really interesting deals with um, vehicle manufacturers, which may be somewhat unexpected to some of our listeners. But I'm wondering if if you could talk a little bit about some of that past and why lyrics are important uh, to the companies building in-car entertainment. And kind of, I mean, we might also need a little background on what in-car entertainment means right now. So maybe let's start there. What are we talking about when we talk about in-car entertainment today? Because it's not just like a radio with a CD slot or a like way you can connect to Bluetooth. Yeah. Lyrics and cars, right? Who would have ever thought that that would be? <laughs> you never hear life's life's yeah, so rich, right? Certainly not not me. If you'd asked me ten years ago, like, are you going to license lyrics to be used in cars? I would have said, "Are you insane? I don't want to kill people." <laughs> uh, exactly. But the car experience has changed dramatically over the last little while with connected cars uh, and. Uh, and the opportunities that that opens up. So now you've got, 
cars that have a full-time data connection all the time. You're you're streaming music directly in, into the car, and they're they're connected in to the car without even having to to use your phone. Uh, they've got video services, and like you can watch Netflix on a Tesla if you want. Uh, and <laughs> that explains the uh, self-driving yeah. mode <laughs> and its failings, perhaps. <laughs> anyway, being but, silly. No, it's not silly. Actually, that's exactly one of the main motivations between the the rise of automotive infotainment systems is autonomous driving. Mm -hmm. The automotive manufacturers are all looking to the future of an autonomous driving world where you don't actually need to be paying attention. And suddenly you have a captive audience in the car and they have nothing else to do. So it becomes a little bit like being stuck on a plane, except Mm -hmm. more room, less people, and you actually know who you're going to be sitting next to. Uh, so that opens up all of these possibilities of having a connected system and having full entertainment in there because now people don't have to pay attention uh, as much. And you, you've got a, a captive audience for entertainment purposes in, in the car, and you've got a high-speed internet connection that opens up all of these possibilities. Uh, and lyrics fit in perfectly as a lightweight data solution as well with what has always been the primary activity in the car, and that's listening to music. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. So being able to have that visual aspect and on these large screens that are in cars now uh, and have synchronized lyrics, lyric translations, uh, and everything like that in there to really enrich that experience uh, right now, not for the driver, but for everybody else that's uh, in the car, uh, creates huge value and huge uh, entertainment value uh, for everybody that's there. So uh, we're able to now provide lyrics to the car uh, over its own connection, uh, have the uh, the translations in there, have the synchronization uh, in there. And you know, if you go and buy a new Mercedes right now, you'll get lyrics with that that car that's coming from Lyric Find. Uh, and we have uh, four or five uh, other OEMs launching with with lyrics over the next year. Uh, so it, it's going to start to be really everywhere uh, over the next uh, short period of time as a key component to the connected infotainment system. Uh, but when you talk about families in the car, it is a really key part of what that automotive experience can be uh, when we tie that back into that content filtration that we were talking about earlier. Because if you're in a car and you're listening to Spotify coming through the car and you've got a random playlist or or it's just generating a playlist on its own and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden Cardi B comes on and you have a five-year-old in the back seat, maybe that's not appropriate for them. Maybe you don't know if it's appropriate. So many questions. Uh, <laughs> so many questions will be asked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to answer those questions. Uh, uh, not at that point, maybe later. Push that off yeah. for as long as you can. Uh, and, and as parents, we can't be expected to know what the content of every single song is that is out there. There's, you know, 100,000, 200,000 songs being released every day. It's, it's impossible yeah. to keep up. Uh, but we can keep up with that 
with technology. And we can keep up with that through lyrics and content filtration and being able to flag for a parent that's driving the car with their kids in the back that, oh, hey, this song that just came on the radio or that you are now playing off off of Spotify uh, has highly sexual content. It's really violent. It's racist. It's discriminatory in, in whatever way. And we, you know, Lyric IQ breaks that down into 31 different categories, but really it, we can boil it down into a, to one. Is this appropriate for kids or not? Uh, and mm-hmm. then you can make a decision. Do I want to keep playing this song and you know let them hear it? Maybe they're asleep. Maybe uh, maybe they're pretending to be asleep, and uh, you want to <laughs> flip the flip the the station to a different one or skip the song, uh, and create a more family friendly environment in the car when you need to. Yeah, there's. I, I mean, I could also imagine the. Um a beautiful future where there is a filter on things like songs involving, um, let us say, certain bodily functions, where if you have certain kids, like my kids, if I could just block every song involving <laughs> involving um, certain certain things, it would make our car rides uh, less less like battles. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because <laughs> there's... I, there's a whole world of content that's just like customized for uh for like nine year old boys searching. Oh yeah, they find some, <laughs> but sometimes they don't even realize. Like, uh, I have two younger sisters, and the older one of them, Lara, uh, if she if she listens to this, she'll kill me. But I remember her as a little kid <laughs> running around the house singing uh, "Liquid Dreams" by O Town, uh, having no idea what any of that meant. And and my parents, too, didn't really catch on because it was just on the radio. uh, And it was like, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, yeah, she's she's like seven (laughs) right now. Maybe not. (laughs) Give it 10 years, little sis. Yeah. 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 Oh, amazing. Um, Well, one other area that was really hot for a minute there about, you know, probably three or four years ago, four years ago now, was voice. And I'm wondering... Daryl, if you could give us like, this is a little bit of a curveball, but your mention of lyrics in car made me think of um, not just the passengers, but the driver and the poor soul sort of yelling at their phone or, or, or another device trying to get it to load the song that they want. And they you know don't remember the title because or it's spelled really weird or whatever. Um, I'm curious where we are now with like, you know, voice search, lyrics, that whole world. Um, I, I know there's been a lot of a sort of soul searching in you know the the Alexa and smart speaker world of late, and I'm curious if you know how how you're be, how you're thinking about that as someone whose lyrics could really make that function you know make them those smart smart speakers and voice search a lot more functional. Yeah, certainly voice search in the car is a, is a big area. Um, one of our clients, Soundhound, is doing a ton of work in that that space too, and they're they're doing a really great job uh, with it. Uh, but you know, pretty much all automotive OEMs are implementing voice controls at one level or another mm-hmm. uh, because it just makes so much sense. When you need to search through all the music in the world, you can't do that typing on on a screen when you're driving. You can't do that like, you know, imagine using like T9 type of, of, of texting. And that's kind of what a lot of automotive mm-hmm. uh, interfaces are right now. So voice just circumvents all of that distraction and makes it 
it's super easy. So being able to uh, search not just on artist and song name, but also on on lyrics when you want to play a song or uh, asking for playlists by theme, you know, play me songs about Toronto, play me songs uh, that are happy about driving or things like that. All of that can be enabled uh, through voice search and you know, metadata around the music to make that much, much easier to do and much safer to do. Like a lot of things in automotive really come down to safety. Can you uh, do this task without causing somebody to run off the road and crash into a tree? Uh, so that's, that's the biggest decision maker uh, factor in a lot of these implementations is is it safe? Can we make it safe? And how can we make it safer uh, and enable more functionality uh, and features there? So uh, definitely voice is going to be more and more important in automotive going forward. I would expect that in the not too distant future, pretty much everything that is done uh, will be through voice or will be able to be done through voice uh, in the car to minimize those distractions where you're not turning and looking at a screen and taking your eyes off the road. That's exciting. I can't wait to yell, <laughs> yell lyrics at my car and have yeah. it play music. Yeah. Hey Tesla, um, play me the song that goes this, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dum, da, 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 dum, da, da. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Get it. Who knows what'll come up. It'll be exciting. All right. Um, I want to, you know, we've talked a little bit about the future, about all sorts of cool things that are just emerging, but I wanted to now take a little trip down memory lane with you, Daryl, because you, uh, you started Lyric Find uh, at a time when things were really different than the way they are now in a very specific moment um, of both the internet and lyrics and the music industry. And you've seen a lot of changes to music and tech. So a lot of our listeners are, you know, ha have a startup or are working maybe in a more entrepreneurial way within a larger company. And so I thought it would be really fun to talk to you a bit about that journey and your experiences. I hope you don't mind. Um, so when you think about that journey, what lessons did you learn that you'd like to share? What would you say to yourself, uh, you know, many years ago? as you were getting started um, that you think might be helpful to other founders who are getting started right now? Oh man. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> it's a big I'm, one. I'm so old now. I've forgotten most of it. Uh, <laughs> you just blocked yeah, it all out. It's, it's like, it's like so long ago. Um, yeah. There, there's definitely a lot of things that I learned along the way. There are a lot of mistakes that I made along the way. Uh, and it, sometimes we made the right decision and sometimes we made the wrong one. Uh, some of the right decisions that we made, you know, find people smarter and more experienced than you and, and get them involved as soon as possible. For us, having people like uh, Ted Cohen, Andrew Stess, Milt Olin uh, mm -hmm. involved from an early stage saved us so much time, so much money, so many headaches uh, and being able to leverage their experience and knowledge and connections because there was a ton that we did not know. We were coming into this industry straight out of university, had no institutional knowledge ourselves, very minimal 
uh, connections. I was fortunate enough to meet Ted at a conference early on and, and have him kind of adopt me. Uh, and, you know, having people like that around, it prevented us from making a lot of bad decisions early on and, and kept us going and saved the company in many, many ways. Like every person there multiple times did something that stopped the, the company from, uh, from, from being bankrupt and disappearing. So mm -hmm. you know, I can't stress enough how important it is to have experienced people uh, and advisors around you from an early stage to help steer you in the, in the right direction. Uh, but I also did stuff the wrong way. Sometimes when we were trying to raise money, uh, early on, I was terrible at it. Well, my biggest uh, shortcoming as a, as a founder is my inability to fundraise. Uh, I never did it the right way. Obviously, we never succeeded in uh, raising any money. Uh, the only person I was able to raise money from when, when we were really trying was my mother. And, you know, she had that obligation, you know, as soon as she had me anyway. So <laughs> she don't signed up for that or, uh, decades ago. Uh, but not focusing on that, uh, in the end, it, it worked out fine. Obviously, we're still here, and uh, I'm happy mm -hmm. that we didn't take a bunch of money from a VC early on and uh, and be kind of beholden to that. But it was hard. It was it was tough that we couldn't do everything that we wanted to do early on because we had to bootstrap everything. Uh, and you know, if you're going to be raising money. Uh, then you pretty much need to focus on just raising money and do it in in an organized way. And there's lots of stuff that's written out there now about you know how to organize that and how to be efficient at it. But I never followed any of that, and I never succeeded in raising money. So uh, you, it it that's it's interesting because you know your biggest mistake may also be one of your greatest strengths because. Well, it's, you know, it's wonderful to be able to raise money and that can be the right thing for certain kinds of businesses. Being forced to build slowly and, you know, methodically is also a kind of a blessing in disguise, perhaps. So it's kind of amazing that that you persisted and, you know, kept building a business that's remained viable. That's pretty Yeah, impressive. I mean, it, you're right that it ended up being... Uh, one of our biggest strengths in the end is our independence and, you know, not being stuck on the schedule of a VC fund that needs a liquidity event within, you know, five to 10 years, because we didn't really hit our stride until more than 10 years into it. So if we've been mm -hmm. forced into a liquidity event or earlier, fine. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this now. We wouldn't have reached the success that we that we have, uh, and it would be a very different uh, world and a very different life for for me and, and for Mo. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, and because because of that, you know, we've gotten to this point and you know maintained full control. We've maintained uh, that that ownership and that freedom to do the things that we think are right for the business and right for the our. Uh, our our staff and, and our clients, and not necessarily worry about uh, you know hitting hitting the next 
uh, quarterly number or things like that. You're in an interesting position in the business in that you sort of, you know, you, you came into this and created a new market. I mean, there wasn't, prior to Lyric Fund, there wasn't really Lyric licensing per se as an independent, in, you know, income stream. Um, and, you know, because you're kind of new to this, you have this whole new area. Um, I'm sure you had to make a lot of complicated decisions about technology because there's really nothing that's sort of ready-made for what you were doing. I'm wondering if there were sort of, you know, overall lessons you learned about deciding how to, you know, what technologies to to, to use, how to, um, how to sort of sort out in a more like big picture way what was hype versus what was like could be a really fundamental part of your business. So you went with AI and you've been you've been working with, you know, machine learning and AI, I think for what, like four years now? I'm I'm thinking about when Lyric IQ launched. Um Yeah, it's been it's been years. But, I, mean, I don't know. It all, all comes aboard with the pandemic. <laughs> it's like what is time? Exactly. Exactly. That was just like like before it before it started in before times. Um however I've never heard Lyric Lyric find breathe a word about things like blockchain, which is, so how did you make those decisions as, as a leader? I mean, that's fine. People can like blockchain all they want. It's not, um, no, 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 no shade thrown at blockchain, but you've made very clear decisions about technology. And I'm wondering how you made those decisions and if you have anything to share with, uh, with, with emerging founders um, on how to make those decisions. So a lot of that comes down to uh, my co-founder and CTO, Mo, he keeps an eye on mm-hmm. a lot of the emerging technologies and tries to figure out you know, what's real and what's not and, and what's useful. And he's never been a fan of blockchain uh, for the, the music industry and for publishing rights in, in particular, uh, just because it doesn't actually solve an issue that, that we have. You know, we don't have a problem keeping track of ownership information that we have, we have a problem getting ownership information in the first place. And yeah, I'll amen to that. <laughs> I've always used the analogy that like garbage in equals garbage out, regardless of how nice that garbage can is that you store it in. And, <laughs> and, and that's really what a lot of music publishing ownership information is because people uh, and it happens on both ends of the spectrum, whether it's the indie artist who just doesn't know a- any better mm-hmm. or huge publishers that just are so antiquated that they haven't caught up. Now, most of them have now. They're much, much better now than they used to be uh, in, in the years past. But uh, you know, we have publishers that we've dealt with that can't tell us what they own. And if they can't tell us what they own, then what good is blockchain going to be for that? If the people who actually own it can't do it or people that are creating a song, if you've got a guy in a garage that uh, is recording a cover of, you know, don't stop me now or, or something and they release it, they don't know that, Oh, I have to register that. This is the song. This is, this is queen. This must be owned by Sony ATV then because it's, like they don't know and you can't reasonably expect them to know. So they're not going to register it because with the amount of music that's being released now, it's impossible uh, to manage that on the the long tail. So blockchain has never solved anything for us about how we manage data or 
how we we store that ownership. But a regular database works just fine. Uh, it's getting that information really at the point of creation that is a mm-hmm. problem. And you're never going to, to be able to do that with the scale and long tail of, of creation that's happening now. So there isn't really a technology solution to uh, having proper ownership and tracking of every song that's released now, because it's just the wild west right there. So you can't, you can't use something like blockchain. You have to do things like the MLC and the MLC is a good step in the right direction where, you know, it forces people, you know, if you're going to try to go after somebody for statutory damages for copyright infringement, then you need to have registered it there. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. To let people know. Um, it would be interesting if DSPs started only accepting content uh, if all of that ownership was properly tracked and uh, and recorded and registered when it was uploaded. Uh, I don't think that anybody's going to do that because they it would put them at a massive competitive disadvantage compared to the other services. So you know that's unlikely, but could help solve the problem. Uh, but blockchain doesn't solve any of that. Uh, at least not in the music industry. But AI has proven, at least for organizing information, um, to be really a, a benefit. And you have such a huge data set that AI can be, you know, machine learning and, and large models can do lots of really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And we're using AI for a lot of different things on, on our back end. Uh, we're pretty much always pairing that with human curation, though, because... It's not perfect. It's not. Uh, it's not something that you can set it and forget it and never have to look at it uh, again because it's going to spit out exactly what you you need. Uh, you know, for the foreseeable future, you're going to need that level of human curation and moderation uh, to make sure that things are actually correct and not, you know, embarrassingly wrong. Uh, but it's getting there. And there, there's a lot of things where AI is a really useful tool. Uh, like translation is one of those where you can make translators so much more efficient by using AI, uh, you know, word by word synchronization, which is super tedious and time consuming and expensive to do manually with a human, but you can use AI to get pretty close and then fix it from there and be much more efficient and cost effective. So there's a lot of stuff like that where the AI tools that are becoming available now can really make humans much more efficient and effective. And it enables us to make so much more content available. And as a result, generate more revenue for the songwriters and publishers that own that, that content Uh, because so much more can be covered. So much more opportunity is unlocked by that efficiency uh, that uh, really grows the market overall. On that cherry note, thanks so much for for talking to me today, Daryl. This is really, really cool. And I love how we got to talk about everything from cars to <laughs> cars to translations to all that good stuff. So um, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, 
please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. Connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it. We'll be back again next week, if not sooner. You're listening to Music Tectonics.